Some of you will uh, no doubt know that during my working life, uh, I'm supposed to be retired now, but during my working life, I was a teacher and taught modern languages, including the English language, uh, something that I really enjoyed doing. However, it has perhaps left me a little bit uh, intolerant of misuse or wrong use of language. And um, one thing that particularly irks me is uh, something which has developed over the last few years. I'm sure most of you will have experienced this. If you go into a cafe or a restaurant and a waiter or waitress comes and brings you whatever you've ordered and they turn and walk away with the one word, enjoy. That really goes for me. Uh, we've just come back from Norway. I could not believe that this Norwegian waiter said the same thing, enjoy. Everything within me wants to shout out, enjoy what? Enjoy conversation with my wife, enjoy watching the people at the next table, enjoy listening to their conversation, or perhaps enjoy what's been put in front of me. You see, and the word enjoy requires an object. And uh, if we just say it on its own, it is relatively meaningless. Now, I don't know whether uh, there's a up on the wall or not, but the title of what I'm supposed to speak about this morning has a little bit of shade of the enjoy about it, because it is introducing my best friend. Now, the verb to introduce belongs to a select group of verbs that take what are called double objects, because you introduce someone to something or someone else. And this phrase is not quite complete. What am I introducing my best friend to? Or is it something? Is it someone? And so I've decided to change the expression just a little bit. And so I've turned it into a question. Lots of W's there. Whom or what are we introducing to whom? It's quite a complicated question, but hopefully at the end of what I'm going to share with you this morning, we'll have an answer to this question. Um, but let's turn our attention, first of all, to this amazing episode that we've just had read to us in chapter 8 of Luke's Gospel. The New American Standard Version starts verse 22 with the expression, on one of those days. Uh, the NIV just says one day, but I love that expression, on one of those days. I wonder if you've ever thought what one of those days with Jesus was like. I think for the disciples, it must have been incredibly exciting, incredibly unpredictable. They must have got up in the morning and thought, what is going to happen today as we go around with Jesus? 
And if we look very briefly back at chapter 7, that chapter which preceded what we read, we can see what one of those days was like. They're walking through the streets of Capernaum and a group of Jewish elders come up to them and they say to Jesus, look, there's this Roman centurion and he's, he's a really devout man and he, he really supports our, our synagogue, but his servant is very ill. Would you go and heal him? And we're told that as Jesus and the disciples make their way to the centurion's house, the centurion sends servants. And he says, look, I'm not worthy that you should come to my house. All you need to do is say a word and my servant will be healed. And it says, when the servants got back to the house, the centurion's servant was completely well. What an amazing experience for the disciples. But then this day gets even better because they enter the town of Nain and they come across a funeral procession. And there's a young man who's died and his mother, who's a widow, is grieving as she follows this funeral procession through the town. Jesus stops the procession, speaks to the dead man, and the dead man sits up and speaks, and he's given back to his mother. That is what one of those days was like with Jesus. And so here is another one of those days. And they're down by the shore of Galilee, and Jesus says to the disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Janice and I used to live in Burundi, a country in Africa, and we lived very near the shore of Lake Tanganyika. And this scripture often came to my mind as we lived in that place, because it was a bit like saying on the other side of the lake, Lake Tanganyika, was the Congo. And on a good day, you could see the mountains and you could see these little villages. It's a bit like me saying to a friend, let's go over to the Congo today. Uh, wasn't it a good idea, actually, because the Congo was even more dangerous than Burundi at the time. But it was a little bit like that because Jesus was saying, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Let's go over to the Gentile side of the lake where the Gerizines and the Gadarenes are. Let's go over there. And the disciples must have wondered, what on earth does Jesus want to go over to the other side of the lake for? But all credit to them, it says they launched out and they set sail. It's quite a distance. It's about eight miles across the lake. And we're told that Jesus is sitting in the boat and falls asleep. And a storm comes. Now, these disciples knew what a storm was. We lived in Orkney and we knew what storms were. And we've traveled in the boat down to Aberdeen on many occasions where it's been very interesting. But there have often been on those boats people who were not used to that. And they would panic and they would think this boat is definitely going to go down. 
And we would say, no, 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 it can get a lot worse than this. These disciples knew that this was a desperate situation. The boat began to be swamped. And so they wake Jesus and say, Master, we're drowning. This boat is going down. And Jesus says to them, where is your faith? And he rebukes the wind and the waves and the sea is calm. And they get across to the other side of the lake. When they get across to the other side of the lake, they, it doesn't take them very long to realize why Jesus has told them that he wanted to go across. They come across this man, this Gadarene, or Gerazine, but he was a, probably a Gentile, but the poor man was demon-possessed. It says he was naked and he was living in the tombs. He was a complete and utter mess. In fact, he really uh, is an example of what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2. Just let me read that verse to you. Uh, because in one sense, the condition this man was in has applied to every one of us. Chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul says this, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. This poor man was possessed, was oppressed by a demonic force. And the demonic force was out to completely destroy him. And Jesus has crossed this lake with the express purpose of confronting this man in his hour of need. And Jesus says to him, what is your name? And the man says, my name is Legion. There was such a multitude of demonic forces at work in his life. You know, our name is like our identity. And this man's identity was completely bound up in the state that he was in. A state of being oppressed, of being controlled by demonic forces. And as we look around this world, we see so many whose lives are utterly controlled by forces uh, that are under the power and control of Satan. And without Jesus, each one of us is in that state. I don't know all of you here, but let me tell you, God knows you. God knows exactly where you're at this morning. And Jesus is here. And he's here to set you free. He's here to set you free from whatever oppresses you. And just as the word of Jesus 
healed that centurion servant. And just as his word calmed the wind and the waves, so his word in this situation sets this man free. One minute he's naked, he's wretched, he's oppressed, he's possessed. And then we're told he's clothed and sensible. And he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Completely set free from everything that has oppressed him. His name is no longer Legion. We don't know what his name is, but it's no longer Legion. He's got a new identity. One of the last things that Janice and I did before we left Orkney was to attend the funeral service of a very good friend in Orkney. This lady, who was born and grew up with the name Barbara, suffered in her childhood and her teenage years horrendous, indescribable abuse. And then she met a lovely man who married her. And they had two sons. But tragically, her past caught up with her. And she was uh, put into a psychiatric hospital where she spent seven years. But you know, at the end of those seven years in that hospital, Jesus came and met with her and transformed her life. She was released from the hospital, and from that day until her dying day, her name was Grace. She transformed. She was no longer Barbara, the one who was abused and mistreated, who was oppressed by all the demonic powers that had attacked her. She became Grace. And she died grace. Jesus can change our lives completely. He changed the life of this man. Now this brings us back to the question that I posed earlier. Who or what are we introducing to whom? Because at the end of this story... Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples and they go back to the Galilee. The man wants to go with them. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, go into your town and your villages and tell them what great things God has done for you. What he doesn't say to this man is, well, you need to do some training. Perhaps a good Theological college might be good for you, two or three years there, a bit of mission training. Then you need to get yourself attached to a good church, perhaps a, an apprenticeship. None of that is called for in this situation. Please don't think for one moment that I don't 100% approve of all that, but that is not what Jesus says to this man. And so, if we look back at this question, whom or what 
are we introducing to whom we need to get rid of the what. Because what Jesus is saying is it's not about the what when we're evangelizing. It's about the whom. It's not about what Christianity is about. It's not about how to live the Christian life. It's not about you need to understand this bit of theology or that bit of theology. It's about the whom. This man has experienced a life-changing episode with Jesus. And that's all he's got to share. And so he goes into the towns and villages and he tells them what Jesus has done for him. And that's what we need to understand more than anything else. Let's not think, I don't have the answers. I can't evangelize. I don't know enough about scripture. It's not about that. It's about Jesus. What do you know in your life about Jesus? What's he done to you and for you? That's what we've got to share. And just in finishing, I want to um, look at one or two points relating to this. We're looking at a, a, a series here on evangelism. And so look at this episode. I want to show you one or two points which I feel are critical. Firstly, we need to have a personal encounter with Jesus. This man was transformed. His life was changed. His name was changed. He had a personal encounter with Jesus. I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you had a personal encounter with Jesus? Has he changed your life? Has he transformed your life? You and I who were once dead in our trespasses and sins, has he brought life into your life? Everlasting life. In John's Gospel, chapter 17, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that you might know me, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That is eternal life, knowing Jesus. And that is the message that we have. Jesus, Jesus can change your life. Do we believe that? Secondly, prayer. It's attributed to John Wesley that he once said, God does nothing save in answer to prayer. Now, that's a statement I've struggled with a lot often. I'm not sure whether you can justify it theologically, but it's an interesting statement. And when we look at Genesis chapter 20, we come upon an episode there where God initiates prayer. You remember Abraham and Sarah, 
have been traveling, and they come to this land, the land of Gerar, and the king Abimelech is there, and Abraham says to Sarah, listen, just say that you're my sister. I'm going to say you're my sister. And we're told that Abimelech the king takes Sarah into his household. And then we're told that God appears to this heathen king in his sleep, in a dream. And he says to Abimelech, you need to speak to Abraham. He's a prophet. And you need to ask him to pray for you. And I will heal you. And so God initiates prayer. And we need to be dependent on God to move through prayer. And if we are interested in seeing our friends coming to Jesus, having an encounter with Jesus, we need to pray. And secondly, or thirdly, we need to understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit in evangelism. The first of the series that we had, and again in the children's talk, Andrew talked about the word mission, how it doesn't really appear in Scripture, but its root is the translation, is the word to send. And so we had earlier on the screen, as the Father has sent you, so I, sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus was the sent one. He was the mission, missionary. But you know the Holy Spirit is the great missionary. What does Jesus say in John 15? When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And then in chapter 16, he says again, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. We need to be dependent on the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit if we are going to see people coming to Jesus. Many years ago, Janice and I were not long married and we, were, we moved to a town in the borders and uh, we were both involved in teaching in this town. And hadn't arrived very long, and um, I was in a big secondary school, and a little boy came up to me with a little brown envelope, and he handed me this brown envelope, and he said, this is from two of my neighbors, and it's for you. I didn't know who the boy was, the boy didn't know who I was, but he'd had instructions to give this to me. When I opened this envelope, there was a little letter inside from two ladies whom I later discovered one was 92 and one was 89. And in the letter they told me 
that for over 25 years they had prayed for this town. And in God's sovereignty, there's no other way to say it. They had sensed that when Janice and I arrived in the town, God was going to start moving. And before very long, we had an amazing experience, never experienced again, where young people from the school, from no Christian backgrounds, one after another came and gave their lives to Jesus. They even came to our house, down the street, rang the doorbell, we'd open the door, there would be 17, 18-year-old at the door, they'd come in, Within minutes, they were on their knees asking Jesus into their lives. One of them is an elder in Infirm Baptist Church at this time. It was an experience that was amazing and it had absolutely nothing to do with me or with Janice. It was the ministry of the Holy Spirit in answer to the prayers of these two ladies. So I want to say to you, never underestimate the power of prayer. And never, ever underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. And finally, just one more point. We need to have ongoing encounters with Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus when I was a teenager. That was a long time ago. But I'm not living on the strength of that initial encounter with Jesus. I've had many, many encounters since. And if we are going to be on fire for Jesus, we need to have encounters with him on a regular basis. How do we do that? Well, we need to soak in his word. We need to know his word. We need to understand his word. And we have to say, Holy Spirit, speak to me from his word. We need to be praying people. Not just praying for those that are lost, but Speaking to Jesus, communing with our Lord and our Master. And we need to worship. We need to be a worshipful people. Do you know, I was flicking through my diary the other day and and I came across a quote that I'd written down. I can't remember whether it was quoted from this pulpit, but it was about a year ago. And if you recognize it, Maybe someone in this room quoted it. This is what it was. Worship is opening our hearts and minds to let Jesus in and then opening our mouths and hands to let Jesus out. That's a wonderful quote, isn't it? We open our hearts and our minds to let Jesus in And then we open our mouths and our hands to let Jesus out. 
We have to display the glory of Jesus in our lives. I love that verse. And I think it's 2 Corinthians 4, where it says, The God who spoke that out of darkness light should shine has shone into our hearts for the shining forth of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We are the face of Jesus Christ in this world. Wherever we are, studying, at work, leisure, wherever we are, we need to display that glory in our faces. Are we shining for Jesus? There's a I remember as a student, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the bonuses, perhaps, of studying German here with a very ancient professor who loved to talk about old language was that we did quite a lot of incidental theology. And I remember him uh, talking about translation. And he, he was a great fan of the, Luther's translation of the Bible and Luther as a translator. And he quoted that, that verse, which in the authorized version is, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Doesn't really say too much, does it? But Luther translated it like this. When your heart is full, it pours out through your mouth. And I just love that. What's your heart full of? If it's full of Jesus, it will pour out through your mouth. So I want to encourage you this morning. We are all evangelists. Don't think for one moment, I can't be an evangelist. I don't know enough scripture. It's got nothing to do with that. It's reflecting the glory of Jesus in your life. I want to finish with a quote which I took less than a fortnight ago out of the Times newspaper. Now, I've intentionally not written down who, who said it. But if you want to know afterwards, you can ask me. <clears throat> and this is what it says. In a diabolical way, now that is... Another way of saying, in a demonic way. And that's what we've been looking at this morning. A man who was controlled by demons. In a diabolical way, the confusion and error which has led human culture in the way of death and destruction has also entered the church. So that she draws near to the culture without seeming to know her own identity and mission. Without seeming to have the clarity and the courage to announce the gospel. That's a very powerful statement. And it's very true. In Romans 12, we're told to not be conformed to this world, 
in the famous J.B. Phillips version, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. Sadly, that is what's happening in the church. And in many instances, in the evangelical church. And this statement captures that. We need to have the courage and the clarity to announce the gospel. You know, the gospel is unchanging. The truth is never changing. And we need to understand that. And so we don't change the truth to suit the culture. We may change how we present the truth, but we do not change the truth. And we need to have courage, and that's important. We need to have courage, but we need to have clarity to present the gospel in our lives and in what we say. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we just come and we bow in your presence. You are an awesome God. We're just amazed as we understand the depths of your love for us in that you sent your only begotten Son with a wide open invitation that whosoever believes on him, may not perish, but have everlasting life. And Lord, we just want to give our lives afresh to you this morning. And we want to say, come Lord Jesus, come and meet with us. Come and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we cannot live without you. Without you, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But Lord, you've come that we might have life and have life in all its fullness. And we thank you this morning for your amazing grace and your amazing love. Lord, just continue, we pray, to speak into our lives in transforming power. And we ask it in your precious name. Amen.